0: Church, my name is David, and our first Bible reading is from the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 to 23, and if you're using our Blue Church Bibles, you'll find that on page 241, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 to 23. Um, Before I read, let me set the scene. Following King Saul's death, Israel has divided in two. The southern tribe of Judah are ruled by King David, but the rest are ruled by Saul's son, Ishbosheth. Now, Ishbosheth's army is led by Abner, and David's army is led by Joab. So, 2 Samuel, chapter 2, verses 12 to 23. Abner, son of Ner, together with the men of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, left Mahanaim and went to Gibeon. Joab son of Zeruiah and David's men went out and met him met them at the pool of Gibeon. One group sat down on the other side of the pool and one group on the other side. Then Abner said to Joab, "Let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us." All right, let them do it, Joab said. So they stood up and were counted off. 12 men for Benjamin and Ishbosheth's son of Saul And twelve for David. Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they fell down together. So the place in Gibeon was called Helkath Hazurim. The day of battle, that day, the battle that day was very fierce, and Abner and the Israelites were defeated by David's men. The three sons of Zeruiah were there: Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was uh, was as fleet footed as a wild gazelle. He chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. Abner looked behind him and asked, Is that you, Asahel? It is, he answered. Then Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right or to the left. Take on one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. But Asahel would not stop chasing him. Again Abner warned Asahel, Stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look on your your brother Joab in the face? But Asahel refused to give up the pursuit. So Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Asahel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. And he fell there and died on the spot. And every man stopped when he came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died.
1: Good morning everyone. My name is Daniel and I'll be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse verse 12 uh, to verse 20 inclusive. That's uh, chapter 868, uh, sorry, page 868. Gospel of John, chapter 8, commencing from verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, My testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone. I stand with, with the Father who sent me. In your law, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My father witnesses, witness is the, is, uh, my other witness is the father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, If you knew me, you would, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Thank you.
2: Thank you, David and Daniel. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. My name is James. If we uh, haven't met... And my privilege is to bring God's word to you this morning. So let's pray and ask his help. The psalmist wrote, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Father, by your spirit this morning, may indeed your word be a lamp for all of our feet and a light on all of our paths. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The spirit of our age says that, Uh, All we've got to go on is our own brain power. All we've got to go on is our own brain power. We're on our own. Uh, Any claim to outside help, divine intervention or divine revelation is suspect. Be careful. It's most likely someone trying to uh, have power over you, to control you uh, or to trick you, manipulate you. We live in a sceptical world when it comes to God, not so sceptical when it comes to human intellect. The spirit, of, the spirit of our age says that if anything can get us through, it's our own brain power. I was watching Q&A on Channel 2 the other night. Uh, anyone else ever watch that? Occasionally? Yes? Uh, actually, it was only five minutes that I joined while Anna was watching it. Uh, and it was on climate change. Uh, And this is not a political statement, but what struck me was that all the panel were incredibly optimistic that we can solve this. New technology, uh, new ideas, uh, more brain power, and whatever the challenges are, we can do it. That's the spirit of our age. Uh, It's like the coronavirus. Uh, Virtually all the experts who come on the radio say, we'll solve this, we'll get a vaccine, we can get on top of this with our human brain power. That is the spirit of our age. Nothing is impossible for the human intellect. Uh, to chart our life, our way through life successfully, all we need is human brain power. We can work it out. We can work out right from wrong. We can work out good from evil. We can work out how to make a success of our lives without any help from God. Uh, People may still believe in God, but we don't actually need him to live a successful life. And friends, this is because we today are children of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a philosophical movement in the 1700s that still has a massive effect today. It said that we should be guided by our own reasoning power, our own rationality, our own intellect. And we should be very skeptical of any claim of divine revelation. But Jesus challenges the spirit of our age, like he challenges the spirit of every age. He steps into our world and he makes an enormous claim and a gigantic promise. Hope your Bible's still open there at John 8. Uh, turn it up now, it will help. Page 868. Uh, You'll see an outline inside the info sheet of where I'm heading and there will be time for questions at the end. Jesus makes an enormous claim and a gigantic promise. It's there in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, the light of life. Now, what did he mean by those words? Well, we need to see them in their original context. And the original context was the last and greatest day of the Jewish feast of tabernacles or tents. Tabernacles means tents. We're told that in chapter 7. This feast was to celebrate how God had provided for the Israelites for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness when they lived in tents. And there were two great symbols of this feast, water and light. For the feast, Jerusalem was filled with water and light, quite spectacular. Water, because God provided water for them from the rock, miraculously. Light, because God led them through the wilderness with a fiery pillar at night and the cloud by day. And Jesus picked up on both those symbols as he taught in public in Jerusalem, in the temple, on this last day of the Jewish festival. Uh, As we saw last week, he picked up on water. Chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him and here this week's passage he picks up on light now notice i'm assuming what our church bibles say that's chapter 7 verse 53 to chapter 8 verse 11 were not part of the original gospel that john wrote a very likely a true story because it's tested in a number uh, attested in a number of places but not part of this gospel originally here so Jesus went straight from talking about the water to the light, as is fitting on the Feast of Tabernacles. What is the point? Well, the light of the fiery pillar led the Israelites to the promised land, just as Jesus, the light of the world, wants to lead us to eternal life. Uh, But notice how Jesus is greater than the fiery pillar. The fiery pillar was the light of Israel. It led the Israelites through the desert. Jesus is the light of the world. All nations. He wants to lead every person to eternal life, if they are willing. And the fiery pillar led people to the promised land, a nice bit of real estate in the Middle East. But Jesus wants to lead people to eternal life. He says, verse 12 again, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, life there consistently in John's gospel, eternal life, not just physical life here and now, but eternal life, relationship with God now and in the life to come. Jesus says, whoever follows me will have the light of life, the light that will lead them to eternal life. Now, also important to notice that Jesus was not saying there was no light at all before him. He consistently taught that the Old Testament prophets spoke from God and therefore gave a measure of light. But what he was saying is that he is the culmination of all that light. He is the light to end all light. And all that light was pointing forward to him. And his light outshines that light as the sun outshines the moon. That is the claim he is making here. And notice too the implication of what Jesus is saying here, that without him we are in darkness. Sure. Human brain power can figure out lots of things, hopefully meet the challenges I was talking about before. But there's one area where human brain power is woefully inadequate and falls way short, and that is the most important area, knowing God, knowing why we're here. In fact, human brain power has a fundamental flaw. It is biased against God. We come into the world blind to the reality of God. We are born blind to the things of God and we remain that way unless God works in our hearts. But Jesus says, I am the light. Follow me and I will show you God and how to have a relationship with him. Now, on the lips of anyone else, I put it to you, that would sound ridiculous. Imagine if I or one of you stood up this morning and said, I am the light of the world. That is, I am the key to revelation from God. Look at me to understand what God the creator is like. Would not that sound totally ludicrous? Would you not be thinking, James, I think you're developing some mental health issues? I hope you would say that. So why then did not this sound ludicrous when Jesus said it? Well, because he backed it up with action. Remember what began this whole dispute with the Jewish leaders? It was Jesus healing the paralysed man beside the pool in Jerusalem who had been paralysed for 38 years back in chapter 5. That's where this whole dispute stems back to. Jesus' claim was backed up by what he did, the power of his works. That is why we read at the end of this passage, verse 30 we're going through to, even as he spoke, many believed in him. They didn't laugh at him. Many found his claim to be the light of the world completely credible. But what about you, friends? I don't want to assume that everyone here has committed their life to Christ. Have you taken up Jesus on this promise? Are you following him today? Are you walking in the light that he's revealed? which leads to eternal life. So that's point one. Jesus makes an enormous claim and a gigantic promise. He alone can shine light into our darkness. And then secondly, we see that we must evaluate him on his terms, not ours. Verses 13 to 19. And as we read this, friends, we need to remember that the Pharisees are looking for a way to kill Jesus. Right, We've been told that in chapter 7, verse 1. They are not impartial judges evaluating Jesus fairly. They have made up their minds. Jesus needs to be executed for the sake of the peace of the land. So they try and pick Jesus up on a legal technicality. Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And yes, the law of Moses said that in a criminal trial, you needed two other witnesses other than yourself. So the Pharisees Pharisees say, you're appearing as your own witness, Jesus. That's not legally valid. They're also picking up Jesus' own words back in chapter 5, verse 31, where he said, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. They repeat that virtually word for word. But actually, if you go back and read chapter 5 and Jesus' response, you see that Jesus is saying, yes, yes, if I was the only witness, bearing witness to myself, that would not be legally valid. But in fact, there are many other witnesses, and he goes on to list them. John the Baptist, God the Father himself, through the scriptures, the works that he is doing. On this occasion, he says something a bit different. See verse 14, he says, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. They were evaluating Jesus purely by human standards. What they didn't realize was who Jesus was. He was the unique son of God and that he had come from the father into this world and he would leave this world and go to the father. And so his testimony about himself could be trusted because of who he was. They were evaluating him purely on human standards, but he doesn't evaluate anyone on purely human standards that is why he says second half of verse 15 i pass judgment on no one that is i don't judge anyone based on human standards the way you were judging me how does he judge well he judges by god's standards because he and the father judge together they are one Uh, verse 16 but if i do judge my decisions are true Because I am not alone, I stand with the Father who sent me. So friends, if we are going to evaluate Jesus correctly, we have to evaluate him on his terms, not on ours. Uh, So many people evaluate Jesus on their own terms. They say something like this. Yes, if Jesus came down now and appeared to me now, and did this miracle that I want him to do now, then I'll believe in him. That is to evaluate him on our terms. Jesus, you do what I want you to do, then I'll believe in you. And even as believers, we can subconsciously fall into judging Jesus on our terms. Jesus, if you come through for me in this situation I'm facing, if you provide this job that I really Need and want. If you give me this relationship, if you heal this person now, then I will keep on believing you. See how that is to evaluate Jesus on our terms, not on his terms. So, how do we evaluate him on our terms? Well, verse 17 In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. It's the Father who testifies to the Son. How does he do that? Well, he's already explained that back in chapter 5. It's through the Scriptures. The Father testifies to Jesus through the Old Testament Scriptures. The Old Testament Scriptures as a whole point forward to Jesus in so many ways. The Old Testament story is an unfinished story. Jesus completes it. As we've already seen today, for example, Jesus, the fulfillment of the water and the light in the wilderness. And the father also testified through the works that Jesus was doing, like the healing of the paralyzed man. This is my son. Listen to him. We have to evaluate Jesus on his own terms. And that applies to believers as well as unbelievers. Uh, That's one of the reasons we study the Old Testament, so we can see how it testifies to Jesus. We study the New Testament and we notice how it fulfills the Old. We must evaluate him on his terms. Not ours. That's the second point. And thirdly, Jesus offers us a blunt warning. If you do not believe, you will die in your sins. Verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them Notice, by the way, how Jesus persists in speaking to these Pharisees who want to kill him. He doesn't give up on them. Even though they are hostile, he persists, he keeps loving them, he keeps speaking the truth to them. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away. Jesus knows that soon he will go to the cross, he will die, he will be raised and ascend to the Father. He says, I am going away and you will look for me. That is, they will go on looking for the Messiah. But they'll never find him because they've rejected the real Messiah. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. To die in your sin is to die with your sins unforgiven. And so it's to stand before God, the perfectly fair and all-knowing judge, with your sins unforgiven. And so to face condemnation and eternal punishment. That is what it means to die in your sins. And so Jesus says, where I go, you cannot come. That is, if you die in your sins, you cannot go to be with the Father where I am going. Because there's hell to pay. Wow. That is a blunt warning, is it not? That is saying it like it is. That is not mincing words. Uh, That is what Jesus does. And he repeats it. He says it again in 23 and 24. 23, but he continued, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. That is, the reason you don't understand, dear Pharisees, is that we're from different realms. You actually need to be born again. Going back to chapter 3. You actually need to be born from above to understand this. You need the spirit to give you a new heart. And teach you. Your brain power won't get you there. And then the warning repeated. Verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. If we don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. God the son. The great I am. Become a human being. The divine Messiah if we don't believe that we can't be saved because it's only the death of the God man that is sufficient to pay the price for human sin only that price is sufficient if Jesus is just a human being he cannot pay the price for the sin of the world. But that is a blunt warning, isn't it? If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. But notice, friends, it's the only loving thing that Jesus could say to these people. See, why does he say this to them? Because he doesn't want them to die in their sins. He wants them to die forgiven. See, why do you put a warning sign at the top of a cliff? Danger, stay away, steep fall, and a skull and crossbones. Well, you do that because you don't want anyone to fall over the cliff. And that's why Jesus warns us. Because he doesn't want us to die in our sins. He wants us to die forgiven to follow him, the light that leads to eternal life. But even after these blunt warnings and all this to and fro, way back from chapter 5, still verse 27, they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So again, in his love for them, he says one more truth. Verse 28. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. The Son of Man is Jesus' way of talking about himself. To lift up the Son of Man was to lift up Jesus on the cross. Jesus knows that some of these Pharisees who he's talking to will be the ones who will lift him up on that cross. They will order his arrest. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to Pilate. They will demand crucifixion. But Jesus says, when you've done that, when you have lifted me up, then you will know that I am he. In other words, the cross is going to be the greatest demonstration of who Jesus is. The cross will be the place where the light of the world shines most brightly. Why? Because there we will see the glory of God shining in all its splendour. There we will see the mercy of God and the kindness and the grace and the love of God shining out clearly. Because there, the Son of God dies in the place of sinners so that sinners will not have to die in their sins. If you can't understand who Jesus is as you look at him on the cross, then you will never understand who he is. So friend, if your sins are unforgiven, this is Jesus' warning for you today from this word. And he's warning you because he loves you. Put your trust in him. But if our sins are forgiven and we're walking in the light as he is in the light, then he calls on us to warn others as he did. And there are times when we'll have to be blunt with people like Jesus was. And it's loving to be blunt at the right moment. There are times when we simply have to say it as it is because we don't want people to die in their sins. Friends, I find this incredibly hard given my personality. I don't like saying things that will offend people. I like everyone to like me. So I find it hard to be blunt, but I need to because it's not loving to hold back on the truth. It's not loving to take the warning sign away from the cliff. And we need to remember that one day, if they heed the warning, our friends and family, they will thank us for that. And they will be eternally grateful. So getting back to the spirit of our age, as I finish up that we began with, the cross completely undercuts the spirit of our age and our scepticism. In what way was Jesus trying to manipulate us on the cross? Was he making some sort of power play there? It's a ludicrous thought, isn't it? No, he was giving himself for us. He was showing the love of God. He was lighting the way to eternal life. No Enlightenment philosopher has ever done anything like that. Nothing close to that. Now, yes, the Enlightenment has a point. Human brain power is good for lots of things. But we need to recognize that's because God has given it to us. We didn't create our brains. It's his goodness, he is kind like that. He made us rational, intelligent beings with a lot of brain power and we should use that brain power for the good of mankind to overcome the challenges that we are facing. And yes, we shouldn't be gullible to everyone who comes along and claims a divine revelation. But check them out carefully, using our brain power, including the claims of Christ, We don't check out our brains at the church door. But in the end, our brain power can only get us so far. And it can't get us to God. We need a light from God. We need enlightenment, yes, but from Him. And that is what He's given us in Jesus. He is the light of the world. Whoever follows Him will never walk in darkness. But we'll have the light of eternal life. We'll pray about this in a moment, but first, are there questions you'd like to ask about this passage or uh, what I've said today? Things that aren't clear? Yeah, welcome. Yes, uh, Lachlan asks uh, John 7 with the light, uh, with with the water. There are many Old Testament uh, mentions of that that are fulfilled. What so with the light? Um, And I really chose to focus on one because I think it's the really appropriate one with the Feast of Tabernacles, that the light leading the Israelites through the desert. But, um, yeah, there are many others, um, and I think... One of the most important one is uh, Isaiah, um, how the servant in Isaiah is going to be a light for the nations. Um, so Jesus could well have that in mind as well. Uh, yeah, and, and possibly others as well. Light is quite a common metaphor in the Old Testament. Um, yeah, but I think the context here actually narrows down helpfully. That's what Jesus had in mind. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else? Good, that's fine. Do grab me afterwards if there's anything you like to talk about. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we confess that we would be totally in the dark about you, if it was not for you sending your prophets in the old and then finally Jesus in the new. We rejoice in the fact that he is the light of the world. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to him. Thank you that he was willing to be lifted up for our sake uh, so that we may not die in our sins. Father, help us to trust in him. And help us to walk in the light as he is in the light. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.